You're listening to Teach, Think, Treat, a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. This podcast is for healthcare professionals and students about teaching and learning in a busy clinical setting. Whilst our setting is a tertiary paediatric hospital, our experiences and challenges are shared by many professionals and students in other clinical environments. The Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional custodians of the land from which we provide our services. We pay respect to the ancestors, elders and emerging leaders of the Kulin Nation and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians accessing our resources. Hello, my name is Steve Lacey and I'm the Allied Health Education Fellow in the RCH Education Hub. I also work as the Tutor Radiographer in Medical Imaging at RCH. Many of us would know the challenges of working in healthcare organisations. There's a lot of hard work and the continuous emotionally challenging environments, particularly in paediatrics. In a previous podcast, we chatted about self-care following highly stressful critical events with TJ Clark, who is a staff and patient psychologist in the ICU at RCH. And today we're going to talk more about the day-to-day work in healthcare and explore what we can do with the thoughts and emotions that arise for us and how we can look after ourselves and each other in this environment. So I'm joined today by Leah Roten and Robin Clark from the RCH social work team. Leah is a social worker who has worked at the RCH for the past 15 years, and Leah's current role is a palliative care bereavement coordinator for the Victorian Paediatric Palliative Care Service. Welcome, Leah. Thanks for having me, Steve. And Robin is coincidentally also a social worker and has worked at RCH for 28 years and in the mental health service for 17 years and in the social work department for the last 11 years in clinical practice development. Robin is also no relation to TJ Clark from our previous podcast, but thanks for joining us anyway, Robin. Thanks, Steve. So when we mention the term self-care, what comes to mind for each of you? Well, it's become a bit of a problematic term, actually, as it's sometimes used as if it is a homogenous kind of coverall strategy for every context. In fact, self-care is very context and person-specific and needs to be seen in conjunction with other care factors, such as organisational or workplace care and wellbeing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree, Robin. I think the term self-care can be quite jarring for some people. Uh, For me, I think that we need to reframe the way we think about self-care and really see it more as an integral element to sustaining ourselves in the work that we do in healthcare, rather than thinking about it as an afterthought, sort of down the line once we're overwhelmed, exhausted and struggling. I think as people in healthcare, we're very good at supporting and caring for the well-being of the patients and families that we care for. Uh, And looking after ourselves is so often an afterthought. So if we don't use the term self-care, what term would be a good term to use in this situation? It's a really good question. Um, I do a little bit of education in my role and whenever we have a session that's got anything titled self-care, you can sort of feel people's eyes rolling. So Uh what I've started to call it is um, sustaining ourselves in this work and sort of, yeah, really trying to focus on how we can have longevity in our careers and sort of looking after ourselves along the way. Um, I'm not sure if you have any other suggestions, Robin, for a term that's sort of easier to... Yeah. Gotta get our heads around. I think it's about being connected both with our, our peers, our supervisor and, and ourselves in a way. So sort of being quite self-aware about what kind of things are going on for us, what kind of emotions are going on for us yeah. and where our limit points are too. Yeah. Uh, 
being aware a bit about that. And, and if you haven't had to think about that in other work contexts, kind of thinking about it with your peers and your supervisor. Yeah. And I think that's what we're really going to try to delve into in this podcast as well. So it does sound like we need to talk later about what people might need from their workplace as well. But shall we start with some of the areas clinicians should think about when they're working out how to care for themselves and when they're doing heavy emotional work? Yes, I think it's important to acknowledge that each individual, each healthcare professional, each student is going to have an individual approach to their own self-care. There's not a one-size-fits-all approach. I found it really helpful to consider um, the different components or domains that encompass self-care, each with their own focus and strategies. And I'll go through some of those in a minute, but I think it is helpful to break down sort of what constitutes self-care so that we can really sort of target in, I guess, on what works for us um, and particularly in different aspects of our well, our well-being. Rather, you know, like Robin mentioned, than seeing it as a... Uh, rather than, like Robin mentioned, seeing it as a one homogenous concept. Uh, so we, should we talk about those now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's do that. When we think about self-care, there are a number of strategies or, or domains, I guess, that we can consider uh, each having their own strategies within. These self-care domains, I'll call them, um, are physical, psychological, emotional, spiritual, personal and professional Um, I might run through those very briefly now just to offer some sort of uh, suggestions that might fit within each domain to get people thinking about the things that they might already do or the things that they might be able to build into their own routines. For many people, the physical domain is important when thinking about self-care. I think a lot of people go to that physical kind of thought, things like getting enough sleep, going for a walk, having a healthy diet. Um, Some people find more vigorous forms of exercise at the gym really helpful or, you know, joining team sports, running, those sorts of things. So I can't say anything about the sleep because (laughs) I've got two kids at home and I definitely don't get enough sleep at all. But the team sports and the running is definitely something that actually helps me to feel better and help me feel a lot more energised at work. Absolutely. I think often um, a focus on our physical health is a really central component to self-care and sort of having a think about how to build that into your sort of daily routines is really important. The next domain is the psychological. Um, This might be touching base with a professional or group that focuses on psychological health and support. It might be utilising strategies such as mindfulness or gratitude journals and really anything that enables self-reflection either individually on your own or with others sort of in a group. Next is the emotional domain. And of course, there's a little bit of overlap between some of these. So you might think that they sound quite similar and that's because they do. Um, (laughs) But this domain really focuses on utilising your emotional support networks and making time to reflect and identify what you're feeling, either with colleagues or trusted people in your life. So we're we're talking about Colleagues that you're quite close to, or it might be like your, you know, your family, you know, you go yeah. home to your, your spouse or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, people that you really have that trust with. And I think this can be really important if you've had a particularly heavy day, finding the people that you can really be honest with and reflect about what it's really been like. Next, you know, is a, the domain of spirituality. Um, and I know that spirituality is a very individual thing also. Um, mm. And even the word means different things to different people. Some people may not identify themselves as particularly spiritual at all, whilst others can draw strength um, from their spiritual, religious or philosophical practice. So that might be, you know, attending church or prayer or those sorts of things. But also, you know, some people find spiritual connection to nature and sort of connecting with, um, you know, the elements being out in the bush or those sorts of things as well. Mm -hmm. And the last two, 
The personal domain really focuses on drawing from the particular relationships or personal rituals that give us strength. This could be connecting to music, singing loudly in their car, as one of my colleagues recently told me she does on the way home to sort of get her mind out of work, or something really quiet and introspective like meditation. It's really about sort of what finding finding what works for you. Would you consider meditation to be on the spiritual side as well? Then? It could also, yeah, absolutely. I think that there's lots of crossover in these in these aspects, absolutely. And finally, the professional considerations, which really focus on utilising colleagues and people that understand, I guess, the context and the nature of the work that we do, using your supervision space to debrief, seek support or guidance when work is really challenging. For me, if I've had a really rough day at work, I always will seek out a colleague or my manager before I leave for the day to run through what has happened in my day and what some of those challenges have been. Doing this with a colleague I find really helpful because I think sometimes people in my family and my friendship groups don't entirely understand the work that we do at the hospital. And so having those challenges really validated and understood by a colleague really assists me in being able to process those things. Right. So I know that was a lot of talking from me and I'm sure you can see, as we've discussed, Steve, there's lots of overlap between the different areas or domains of self-care. But what I find helpful with this sort of framework is that it helps us to really think about the various aspects of what kind of builds a self-care kind of toolkit and what can keep us well and enable us space to think about what we need to fill our own cups. Some people lean into one particular domain more readily for self-care. Others may draw on all aspects to support the various aspects of their own well-being. And I think breaking it down sometimes can help us to see things that we can build into our days to sustain us over time rather than feeling like we have to find time to do something additional. Yeah, okay. I'm wondering at the moment whether each of you would just be willing to share a little bit about what your own self-care strategies are or for those you have spoken to, colleagues, like some of your colleagues and that, how it can be helpful. Well, I find a close and honest supervisory relationship is essential so that I can unpack what's been happening, its impact on me, and think about any residual feelings that I'm left with. So, and you're referring to clinical supervision in this space, are you, Robin? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we we do have some previous podcasts about clinical supervision uh, that people might want to listen to. Right. Yeah. um, Clinical supervision has various components, but one important component is support. And you have to be connected and proactive in finding out about what your supervisee is carrying in their work. Mm-hmm. Without that, supervision doesn't really function well. But I've had some great supervisors over many years of practice who've played a big part in me being able to continue working in the health and mental health field for so long. And I still do have that kind of supervision currently. I feel like I can be very candid with my supervisor and unpack whatever I need to, which helps me immensely. Another thing I find very sustaining, as an example, is walking Mm -hmm. um, in my own personal life. And I've also learnt from many of my own supervisees over the years who've told me of their very individual and creative ways that they care for themselves or that they draw boundaries around the work they do. For instance, one social worker who used to do a lot of bereavement care Mm. told me that after each bereavement, she would go home and the first thing she would do is take off her shoes, go into the garden and push her feet into the soil. Wow. So literally and symbolically grounding herself. Yeah. Amazing. Another used to turn on music at a very particular point of her journey home, which was for her uh, a signification that the work was finished. And she was shifting back to her personal life. Yeah, okay. 
There are all sorts of ways people can use to process the day, to acknowledge the feelings evoked by the work, and then to draw a line around it. And I think the other important part there is also recognising that that's what you're doing for your own self-care as well. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with Robin that from a professional perspective, I find individual clinical supervision very helpful uh, as a space to reflect, unpack and process some of the experiences I have in my role. Physical activity is also important for me and I know not running marathons, but um, I play (laughs) basketball and I find that a bit of a physical reset or release during my week. And also music is a big support to my well-being, either songs to help me connect to the emotional side of my processing or let those emotions out or, you know, other music will really pet me up when I might be feeling a bit low. So Mm. music plays a big role in my self-care toolkit. But I think, you know, thinking back to when I started as a new graduate many moons ago, straight out of university, I remember really struggling to switch off from work and being able to leave sort of the families and the children I was caring for at work. I'd often find myself thinking about them at home, was preoccupied about the things I had done or hadn't done. I sometimes wake up at night thinking about work. And this continued probably for a good six months before I felt able to take that to supervision and really think about that. And when I spoke to my supervisor about it, we sort of embarked on this process of brainstorming and kind of trial and error, I guess, to try and help me develop my own self-care toolkit that was unique to me. It was a bit of trial and error. Um, Some of the things we tried or we sort of talked and brainstormed together, I tried and definitely weren't for me. And other things did really help. Some of them were really simple, things like showering and changing my clothes as soon as I got home, sort of a symbolism that work Leah was finished and I was now in my, you know, home Leah. Thinking, you know, on my commute home, giving myself permission to think about my work day until a particular point of my journey home. And at that point, trying to engage in a simple mindful activity to really focus on the present and then help me transition my thoughts away from work. So that's just a couple of examples. But eventually I found what worked for me and was able to build that into my day. But it was it was a deliberate attempt to do that, which I think is what you're touching on, sort of acknowledging the things that you're doing as part of your self-care routine. And I think it's very important, and particularly for our students or graduates listening out there, that it is important to be able to switch off and leave work at work. Like I would do the same thing of going home and, and having a shower and getting changed. But I probably didn't realize at the time that that's what I was doing, that that, mm. that was me kind of switching off from mm. work. But it certainly did help quite a lot anyway. Now I'm not so good at leaving work at work and I do a lot of work at home and that can be a bit hard, but I still do feel I am able to maintain a, a work-life balance mm-hmm. um, per se. Yeah. yeah. So, so what are some of the factors that are important to consider here? Choice, I guess, when you're thinking about what is going to support your self-care, your well-being or your ability to, to sustain yourself in your career. I think knowing that there's choices and that there isn't one size fits all, you know, we don't all have to be meditation gurus, that there can be really simple things that work for us that are going to be unique. And I think giving yourself time to identify what works for you and making that a really purposeful process, I think, actually putting time and effort into it particularly newer workers or students, sometimes feel the pressure to be coping well and in control and not particularly affected by the work because that's maybe seen as not professional. But I think giving, you know, really trying to establish a culture that it's okay to to kind of say that you're not coping or to seek support when you're confronted by by the work that we do. I think sort of having that 
understanding that in teams is really important and, and it's not a reflection of weakness, I yeah, guess. Yeah. Do, do you think as well, though, that that also has, there's also then the requirement of the team itself to basically say, we're in a safe space here. So you are allowed to express your vulnerability. You are allowed to show your vulnerability and you're going to be safe when you do so. Because I think one of the reasons why some people don't show that vulnerability is because they don't feel like they're safe to do that at work around their colleagues. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, yeah, newer workers or students probably feel that a lot. They're trying to prove themselves and, and mm. be competent and find their feet, you know, in a professional capacity. And I think that, yeah, that can be a real challenge. And I do, you know, I think that ties into a responsibility of organisations to model and have a culture of talking about the impact of the work that we do and really normalising that as, yeah. as a, you know, this isn't a normal run-of-the-mill workplace. Good orientation to workplaces is important for new workers, students, good supervision, and also, I guess, opportunities for colleagues to reflect together and share experiences. I think that can be really powerful for people to understand that their colleagues and teammates are having similar experiences or or different, but also to just appreciate those reflective sort of spaces for one another. It also strikes me that it's much better to intervene early, that all supervisors, for instance, should be regularly exploring how the amount and nature of their clinical work is impacting their supervisees. We shouldn't wait until they're at breaking point. Mm. And both supervisors and managers need to be very proactive, I think, in thinking about the impact of the work on clinicians. Mm. For instance, thinking proactively about when clinicians working in a critical space with high emotional impact might need to step out from that position and have a break. Yeah. And departments need to regularly look at pressure points in various roles and make sure they're building in supports and regularly reviewing aspects of the work, assessing for risks of burnout. And so what do you think, Robin, as far as supervision is concerned, what does good supervision mean in this context? Yeah, it's an interesting question because there's several different aspects of supervision and and Mm. it means a lot of different things to different people. But really building trusting relationships is the core and, and that's where workers are allowed to discuss their experiences, their tiredness or frustrations their questions, their emotional responses, without fear of reprisal. That's what's really important, I Mm. think. Supervisors should be regularly checking in about this and exploring the impact of the work with their supervisees. At times this will be challenging too for the supervisor because what the supervisee brings when they're exhausted, stressed or distressed might be hard for the supervisor to hear as well. But supervisors need to be able to regulate their own emotional responses at these times so that they can be available to their supervisee. Yeah. So for the supervisor, it's important that they can take their own responses, their own supervision, hence the importance of supportive supervision for everyone at all levels of an organisation. Yeah, absolutely. Just to finish up, Robin, what kinds of organisational supports are available to members at RCH? Okay, so as we've talked about already, good relationship-based supervision is critical for all healthcare professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's been a, a change in the response from healthcare settings generally and certainly in RCH over recent years to highlight the importance of reflection and offer opportunities for staff to engage in various activities to promote wellbeing. I think that's been a great shift. Yeah, There's a lot more reflective spaces which are run by some individual departments. Uh, Also, there's the recent institution of the Schwartz Rounds. 
And what, um, what are Schwartz rounds? So Schwartz rounds are structured group sessions where staff members, both clinical and non-clinical, can take some time out together to reflect on their work and its impacts on them, including emotional impact. And it relies on staff being able to have a level of vulnerability with their colleagues yeah. to talk about this stuff. There's also the RCH Peer Support Program and the Employee Assistance Program if you prefer someone that's separate from your workplace. It's a free service. It can provide individual counselling and also regular debriefs for wards or departments. Mm -hmm. There's the Workplace Health and Safety Department for advice and assistance when there are problems and stressors in the work environment that need addressing. Workplace Health and Safety and Staff Wellbeing Services at RCH can provide a wealth of information and support for managers about how to go about these processes and for individual staff as well to respond to their concerns about the pressures they're experiencing at work. Yeah. At RCH, there's also the Wellbeing Hub in the Help Precinct uh, where you can go and take some downtime. Yeah, I believe they have massage chairs in there, they which my students sometimes. keep harping on about. <laughs> I know, very nice. So there's some great opportunities yeah. there. Um, also charge your phone and or oh, just sit right. with friends and have some time out of the workspace, I yeah. guess. Also, there's often mindfulness, yoga and Pilates sessions, which run from time to time. So that's just so much to offer. And it's really fantastic, I think, that we are able to provide that in one organisation. For those not working at RCH, Leah, what should people look at in their organisations? I think to really put some effort into exploring the wellbeing programs that exist within your workplace, you know, sign up for a wellbeing newsletter if they exist, something that can just pop into your inbox and you can get reminders about what's happening around you. I think within teams, it's important to be clear about the support structures that exist within your team and who you can go to for supervision and support when and if you need to. That's perfect. Look, thanks so much again for joining us, uh, Leah and Robin. It's great to know that we're all going through some similar experiences and we can all use these strategies to guide us forward in our work. Thanks very much. Thanks, thanks Steve. Steve. Thanks for listening to Teach, Think, Treat, part of the Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast series. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, check out our other podcast show, Conversation with the Experts, where professionals from the Melbourne Children's Campus provide advice and insights, tips and tricks, and discuss latest research findings on a range of topics.